Hello, and welcome to the Institute of International Finance's newest podcast series, All About the Green, which will shine a spotlight on the exciting and rapidly evolving world of sustainable finance. We're your hosts, Sonia Gibbs and Greer Mizels, and we look forward to coming to you once a month with new perspectives and fresh insights. We are delighted to have with us today Marissa Buchanan, who is Executive Director, Sustainable Finance at J.P. Morgan Chase. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Now, you know, I think it's fair to say that one of the real growth areas in financial services is reporting on environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, issues. Part of that's been driven by a push from regulators, of course, but a lot has been industry-led, for example, by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, or TCFD. So in this context, you've got two reports out recently, really interesting, one on understanding climate-related risks and opportunities, and the other that's simply called Environmental, Social, and Governance Report. And this is so far and above traditional you know, corporate social responsibility reporting why is it important that, that J.P. Morgan integrate uh, ESG considerations across the business? And why have you chosen to be so proactive about it? Yeah, that's a great question, Zonia. And thanks so much for having me today and um, for this opportunity to talk about these reports, but more importantly, the work that we're doing across J.P. Morgan Chase. So I would start by saying, you know, for us, ESG is good business. And we have been focusing on a whole range of ESG issues across our business for a very long time. And, you know, for us, ESG really means a few things. It starts with having robust governance systems, risk management and controls, investing in our employees and cultivating a diverse and inclusive work environment, serving our customers exceptionally and transparently, strengthening the communities where we live and work and really investing in those communities, and then also integrating sustainability into our financing activities and and objectives. For us as a financial services firm, um, we're focused on all these issues and really, again, thinking about how they drive the core strategy of our business, positioning ourselves to be great bank to really serve our clients and customers and communities around the world. And on sustainability in particular, um, since that's um, one of my core areas of focus, our objective is really twofold. One is to make sure that the clients we do business with around the world are managing environmental and social issues in a responsible manner. And secondly, it's also making sure that we are trying to help our clients access the financing that they need in order to go out and invest in their own sustainability objectives, whether that's renewable energy, energy efficiency, green buildings, and the like. And we were really proud a couple of years ago to publish two new commitments. One is a commitment to facilitate $200 billion in clean financing by 2025. And our second commitment was to use renewable energy for 100% of our power needs globally, so across our buildings, branches, and data centers. And I'm pleased to say that we're already more than 50% of the way toward our uh, $200 billion clean financing commitment, and we're a little over 20% of the way toward our renewable energy goal for our operations. So it's really very broad. It's both within the firm itself and your own sort of footprint and so on, but also helping your clients reach their own goals. So there's, there's quite a lot to cover yeah. there. So, but how do you decide what to put in a report like this and, and what, what's material? It's a great question. So I think it's really a combination of three things. One is, you know, we know as a bank what's important to our business. We know what matters to our clients and to our shareholders. And I think we have a good sense of what those core issues are. 
Secondly, we listen to what matters to our stakeholders. We engage with a lot of different stakeholders, whether it's regulators, clients, investors, NGOs, and you know, we take their views in, into consideration when we think about what we report on. And then thirdly, we look at various disclosure framework recommendations out there. So for example, for our ESG report, we follow the Global Reporting Initiative Standard, And as you mentioned, the climate report that we recently published, that report was informed by the recommendations of the Task Force for Mm -hmm. Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which we also serve as a member of. What's really interesting about your reporting is that it it gets some some real color and, and focus on these issues, because when you think about sustainable finance, it's really broad, it's very abstract. So you've done a great job in sort of making it more more concrete and, and specific here. You've got a whole framework sort of that you're, you're setting out that you're reporting on. How do you benchmark this, you know, relative to what other firms are doing and what are the right sort of, you know, measures and metrics and tools to understand these risks? Because these are new risks, right, that we people haven't been thinking about for 200 years, like in regular sort of financial risks. It's different. It's a great question. And look, I mean, I will say that this work for us is an ongoing process. We came out with our first dedicated ESG report four years ago, and I can say that the issues that we are continuing to report on have actually stayed pretty consistent. You know, I think for us, that just underpins the fact that, look, you know, the the kind of material issues for large corporations generally don't change all that much. But I do think there are some issues around the edges that as things change politically or within society come to the forefront for companies in new ways. And so that's why I think it's a important that we always take a look at, you know, the core parts of our business that remain consistent to make sure that we're doing the work that is really essential, but also making sure that we have our eye two steps ahead. So what are the things that we should be thinking about today that we know are going to be becoming larger issues on the horizon. Yeah, I'm looking across the ESG spectrum. There's a lot that's been done both by yourselves and by by many peer institutions on the E part of it, the environmental issues, but the social and the governance issues I think are more and more to the to the forefront. I think that's right. You know, I think in a lot of ways the governance issues for most companies have been really core for a long time. I really view the environmental and the social issues as gaining steam and momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, and I will say that these issues are slightly different for every company and for every industry. I think it's really important that companies take a look at how these issues are really meaningful for them specifically, given the jurisdictions that they operate in, their business model, the customers that they serve. No two companies are alike. It's really helpful to have a lot of these ESG disclosure frameworks that promote a set of disclosures on consistent items across all companies. But I think it's also really Mm -hmm. important to make sure that companies have the flexibility to report on things that they know are unique to them and to be able to share that story. Consistent but flexible. Yes. Key words there. But, you know, companies as large and as global as JP Morgan are just generating reams and reams of reporting on all across the board. How does this type of reporting fit in with these other reports? I mean, is it going to be sort of a little niche or more integrated? And who's your, your target audience? So you're highlighting a really important challenge nowadays, which is this tension between a lot of stakeholders wanting more and more and more disclosure and then, frankly, being burdened by information overflow. For us, we think a lot about how we report on the issues that are most critical to our business and how do we present that information in the most accessible, digestible way. I think we know that most people nowadays don't want to read 200-page reports. It's just too much. And so we've really made a big effort to structure our ESG reporting. When I say ESG reporting, I mean everything from our 
dedicated ESG report to our climate report, but also our annual report that we publish, our proxy statement that we publish each year, really making an effort to design these reports to be complementary, but making sure that each report hones in on the pieces of information that really matter and to present them in as a succinct and concise way as possible (laughs) so that we can get people the information that they need. And if they want to read up further on a specific topic, we make sure that we provide links so that they can follow up and do so as needed. Indeed, succinct is a real challenge, I'm sure, in reporting. But you had mentioned earlier corporate strategy and sort of ESG risks and opportunities as part of corporate strategy. It's not something you'd traditionally think of, right? You think of ESG over here and corporate strategy over there. But how are these environmental social matters becoming more and more relevant for for stakeholders and for the industry at large? I think they're becoming more relevant in a few ways. For us as a large financial institution, you know, we bank clients and customers around the world. And for us, you know, one of the biggest drivers, if not the big driver for us, is really around responding to client and consumer demand. We have clients operating in Europe and Asia and North America. They are under increasing pressure from customers for more sustainable products and services, in some cases subject to government policies and regulation around the environment, interest from shareholders and other investors and stakeholders in sustainable practices. And so I think our clients are really hearing a lot of this and come to us as a bank to say, we need your help. We need access to capital to help us go out and actually make these investments in all these different things to try to build more sustainable businesses. So is a customer-centered business, Mm -hmm. that's first and foremost important for us. Secondly, we also hear increasingly from our investors, they care about what we're doing on sustainability. I would say that there are a lot of issues that our investors care about, governance issues and other issues related to our employees and making sure that we're building a robust company. That's critically important. But sustainability is, I would say, an issue that's also at the table as well. And I would say lastly, as IAF knows well, there are a growing number of regulators and policymakers around the world that care about key issues like climate change and other sustainability matters. And so it's really important for us to not just follow those developments, but make sure we are staying ahead of them. And that they're part of an overall corporate strategy. Yes. And I I think that's really important because, you know, I think there is this tension in some ways of ESG kind of sitting on the side. But we really think of ESG as part and parcel of how we run our business. A lot of the things that we talk about in our ESG report, we as a business have been doing for a long time, even if we haven't necessarily kind of labeled them as ESG. Mm -hmm. So I think part of this is developing a new vocabulary to talk about a lot of this work that we always have been doing and will continue to do for the foreseeable future. I think many, many firms will find this helpful as they take on the challenges of doing the same type of reporting within their own firms, something of a template in that sense. Thinking across different sectors, you know, a firm as global as yours has reach in almost all sectors of the economy. How does this kind of inform your approach to sustainability, especially thinking about areas like risk management, policy engagement, and disclosure practices? Climate change as an issue is incredibly important. We recognize that 
climate change, if it remains unaddressed, will present risks. I think we're also cognizant that policy actions around climate change, if they're not well designed, can raise new risks of their own. So really important to make sure that when we're in the process of thinking about creating solutions to one problem, we don't create new problems in the process. For us, I think looking at climate change, and as we describe in the report, one of the really important things we did was to start by actually dissecting what the term climate-related risk means. You hear it a lot. So through a lot of our internal conversations, we found that people are kind of scratching their head going, what do you mean by climate-related risk? Well, you actually have to spell it out. For us, it's two things. One, it's the physical risks and impacts that come with things like severe weather, potential changes in precipitation, drought, sea level rise, and the like. And the other piece of this is around what we call transition-related risks as outlined by the TCFD, things like changes in policy regulation that could apply constraints to companies when it comes to managing greenhouse gas emissions, Mm -hmm. also includes things like potential changes in the market, commodity prices, technology changes and the like. So it's a a lot of things and you really have to unpack it. And, you know, for a bank, um, we talk a lot about the various types of risks that we manage as a firm. We went through a process where we actually looked at the ways that climate change can manifest itself Mm -hmm. and then linked those to how do those climate related factors or impacts drive potential risks that we manage Mm. as a firm. So for us, this was really about making climate change relevant to our risk management process and frankly, translating it into a language that resonated with our risk management organization internally. Now, you make a really interesting point there. So it's not just a matter for a a global bank to, to finance sustainable projects and sustainability developments, but also to finance kind of a transition, right, from things that maybe aren't so sustainable right now to to being more sustainable in the future. So that distinction is important. We think a lot about the low carbon energy transition. And, you know, we have clients operating in many different industries. Many of our clients, you know, frankly, just through, you know, changes in the market, consumer demand, technology evolution, there is a low carbon energy transition underway. Mm-hmm. I think the US electric power sector, for example, mm-hmm. is a is a great example of that, where so much of the carbon reductions that have taken place have been driven by the rise in natural gas fire generation, which has been displacing coal combined with growing penetration of renewables, which are increasingly cost effective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of those Trends are things that are kind of naturally occurring and I think will continue to gain speed and momentum as the market and technologies continue to change. I think it's really important, though, to recognize one of the big challenges is that 80% of the world's energy that we use today is supplied by fossil fuels. That's a big number. And I think it just shows that a transition to a low carbon economy is going to take some time. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's really important to address not only energy supply, but energy demand, Mm. and that they're done together. Mm. So we're thinking a lot about how to help our clients with this transition, but also make sure that we do so in a way that is, frankly, smart for the economy and protects consumers when it comes to energy access and affordability. All of these activities, you know, financing sustainable projects, financing transition, for an internationally focused global firm. I mean, that involves stakeholders, participants 
all over the world, right? And there are some very international initiatives that you've been participating in or been part of, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, TCFD that we mentioned, but also the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment, Greater Principles, and so on. Maybe tell us about your involvement in some of these initiatives. Sure. And, you know, I'll start by saying we engage with a lot of different stakeholders on these issues. And as you can probably appreciate, there are a lot of stakeholders that have different views on all these topics. But I think it's really important to us that we listen and, you know, maintain relationships and dialogues with a lot of different groups out there. Because, as you know well, these issues are always changing. And it's really important for us to make sure that we're staying abreast of the latest trends and developments and and perspectives as well. In that vein, we do maintain a number of relationships and commitments and memberships with different groups out there working on the intersection of sustainability and finance. I know you mentioned a few, the UN Principles for responsible investment. Our asset management business within JP Morgan has been a signatory to the UNPRI since 2007 and is very active in uh, efforts around ESG integration there. We've also been a member of the Equator Principles for a long time and a number of other groups. And as you said, the TCFD is a group that we've been very active in for the past several years. The firm served as a member of the TCFD and we were pleased to be one of the first U.S. banks to publish our first TCFD report just last month. So a struggle really to find the time to concentrate on your day job with all of the participation in these global initiatives, indeed. So do you think we're coming up with frameworks that, that are universally applicable and can be used across borders? Are we, are we getting there with these initiatives? You know, I go back and forth on that question, frankly. There are a lot of different disclosure frameworks out there, as both companies and investors know well. All of them have started with slightly different histories and objectives and purposes. Many of them have evolved quite a bit over the years. My view on this is I don't know that we're ever going to get to a stage where there's going to be consolidation or agreement on either disclosure framework or a kind of given set of metrics or measures that companies should report on. Ultimately, at this stage, it's going to be up to companies to say, here's what we know is really important to our business. Here's what we know matters to our key stakeholders and to make their own judgment call on what they think needs to be disclosed. And I think the test of a company's success will come in the form of feedback from their stakeholders, whether it's investors or or others. I think in this day and age, there's more and more pressure on companies to disclose more and more information. And, you know, my view is it's really up to companies to figure out what matters Mm. because more information is not necessarily always helpful. I think it's a question of making sure that you're focusing on the right set of information, Mm. which generally involves a balance of both quantitative metrics and qualitative discussion. Numbers without context generally are not helpful. And when you're presenting numbers, it's generally always helpful to show a trend line as opposed to just a snapshot in time to make sure that people get the fullest picture of what is actually happening within a company as possible. And of course, we haven't even touched on the question of where you get the numbers to do this kind of quantitative uh, disclosure around these climate and other ESG type risks, because in a lot of ways, that data simply isn't there yet to make this happen. It's a challenge. You know, certainly the metrics will differ whether you're looking at something like potential physical risk Mm -hmm. um, compared to something like transition risk. As I talked about earlier, looking at policy trends, technology development, it's hard in some cases to kind of separate climate related drivers from things that would just happen, you know, anyway. So it is a real challenge. And I think in particular, figuring out 
really how each of these factors can impact individual companies. Again, recognizing that you know, you've got companies operating all over the world with slightly different business models and different customers subject to different regulation. It gets complicated quickly. So for us, we have a lot of work underway to take a very close look at these issues, really dig into them at the company level mm-hmm. and think about what this means for our decision making as a firm. Well, it sounds like really our financial services community as a whole has an awful lot of work ahead of us. So um, thanks very much to you for all of the work that you've done and sort of helping blaze something of a trail here. And thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. Well, we're really pleased to be a member of IAF and really appreciate your leadership on all these issues. So thank you, Sonia. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks again to Marissa Buchanan from J.P. Morgan Chase for joining us today. You can find this and other episodes at www.iif.com and follow us wherever you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play. We'll be back next month with more on sustainable finance. And in the meantime, remember, keep it green.